Good morning. So we're going to wrap up this series today that we have been in all year. I mean, all year long, we've been in this one series. And uh, it's finally coming to a close today. We've been talking about the, the joy of living with purpose, that we have been invited into this incredible purpose of living in the kingdom of God and seeing the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven, right? This is what we sang about and prayed about. And as part of that kingdom life, you and I have been sent to the people around us to love them in a way that points them to Jesus, to invite everyone to a life with Jesus, because we believe that's, that's what we were made for. That's, that's really where it's at. So uh, as we uh, close today, we're going to talk about some really practical things that we can do, and we're going to offer you an opportunity um, to just line up with these practices and start to build some of these into your life. And these practices are going to be built around the concepts of gathering and caring, gathering and caring. So let me ask you this. Um, Are you aware of what it's like to be around you? This This is a good question to ask. Do you know what it's like to be around you? I think this is a helpful relationship question. If you have people in your life, kids, parents, spouse, to ask this, if you're really bold, you can ask this. What is it like to be around me? What is it like to disagree with me? Ask somebody that. What is it like to be around me when I'm really excited? What's it like to be around sad me, angry me, work mode me, vacation mode me? That's a good relationship question. Like it's helpful for us to put ourselves in the shoes of those who have to be around us because then we can understand uh, how we're relating to people in ways that maybe are either building bridges or tearing them down, right? This is a good question for the church to ask as well. For the church, for Christians, for Jesus followers, what is it like for those who are not part of the church to be around us? What is it like for for people who are outside of the church to be around Christians? What is it it like to be around us when when things are going great? Our community's at, uh, at kind of a high point. What is it like when when there's tragedy or crisis? What is it like to be around Christians, around church people? I think this is a question we can actually find some answers to when it comes to the early church in the book of Acts. So as we've talked about before, the book of Acts is sort of built on this thesis statement from verse eight, chapter one, verse eight, where Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit's gonna come on you and then you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts just sort of fleshes out what that looks like as, as the disciples witness to uh, the life and teachings of Jesus and his death and resurrection in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so as they do that, then there are people who say, sign me up. I wanna be a part of the, this kingdom that Jesus has been talking about. And those people were called Christians and they began to gather together in what we would call churches. They, this was gatherings of, of Christians, just like, just like us today. So when we read Acts, we can see what these early Christians did, and we can get a picture of how the outsiders, the people who are not part of this gathering, how they saw Christians. And I think there's some things for us to learn here. So we're going to look at some of these examples from the book of Acts of how, how this early church, how these early Christians functioned, and how outsiders saw them, and what impact that had on them. So let's start with Acts chapter 5. This is one of the uh, really, there's three main uh, scriptures we're going to kind of touch on today that 
uh, from Acts that talk about what the early church did, and this is, this is one of them. So we're gonna start with this. If you see anything underlined on the screen, those are your lines. You can read those out loud. Verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. All right, let's, let's focus first on what, what were they doing? What, what was happening? So the apostles are performing signs and wonders. That's kind of cool and also different, right? Um, I don't know if, if, you know, what you would call me if I'm, a, if I'm an apostle, I'm not an apostle like they were, um, but I don't do, uh, I stand here and do miracles for you every week. Um, although the fact that I get through some of these sermons, I mean, it could be qualified as a miracle, maybe, depending on where you're sitting. Uh, but that, that doesn't happen with us today, but this was normal. They, they performed signs and wonders, and they also met together publicly. They met together in the temple uh, court area. There was this a specific place called Solomon's Colonnade that was part of the temple complex. And the temple in Jerusalem was a very busy place. I mean, it was super crowded. It's like Times Square in New York City. I mean, you just, there's always people there. People from out of town are, are there. People who live there are there. I mean, it was just, it was the center of Jewish uh, faith. And so it was always crowded. But the Christians found a place where they kind of gathered. It was at Solomon's Colonnade. So they gathered together regularly. And then uh, it's interesting to note what it says about how the outsiders saw them. It says, no one dared join them while they were gathered in public like that, even though they were highly regarded by all the people. So, so the outsiders thought very well of them, but when they gathered in, in big public space like that, people didn't just jump in. However, in, in the next verse, it does say that, that more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So people are joining this gathering, but not in the big public spaces. I find that interesting, Right? I wonder if there was something about just the social setting of the temple courts where it was, it was just not an ideal place for people to, to begin worshiping with these Christians. So it happened in smaller settings. It happened in smaller settings because we know too that they, they gathered in smaller groups as well. If we back up to Acts chapter two, this is another one of the sections that talks about what the early church did, Acts 2, 42 through 47. So let's just look at verse 46. You just get a couple words here, but I want you to really, you know, punch them. Here we go. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts. So together was a big, a big deal for them. Being together was a big deal and even eating together, which we're going to do later. And hopefully you guys will all stick around for that. But it says they met in the temple courts. So that's a big public gathering, but they also met in their homes. And it seems like from what we saw in, in Acts 5, that it was in those smaller settings in people's homes that others were joining the gathering. It was in that more personal, intimate environment. <clears throat> they weren't showing up like what we're doing here on a Sunday morning and then joining the gathering like, like that in public. They were, they were actually connecting through smaller groups what we would call microchurch here. I find that interesting. So macro level, they're gathering. Micro level, they're gathering. <clears throat> what else is, is happening here? 
Um, the people hold them in high regard. So outsiders think very well of this gathering of believers. That seems odd to me also. I mean, if you think about how that would work in our culture today, if a new religion just sort of springs up, do we think of those people highly initially? Or do we kind of have some questions like, where did this come from? And is this a cult? And should we be worried, right? But this new sort of faith, this new, it was sort of considered like a branch of, of, of Judaism springs up and somehow they're highly regarded. Well, why would that be? Well, think about the organizations that you hold in high regard. Do you have other organizations that you think very highly of? I know for my family, there, there's one organization that we, we hold in high regards called Wheeler Mission. Uh, several years ago, we started doing the drumstick dash um, in Indianapolis. Um, this is a race that you run on Thanksgiving Day. And we started doing this with our friend Frank. And the first year we ran it, uh, KFC was there with buckets of chicken handing out drumsticks. And Frank is like, we got to eat a drumstick while we run. And I thought, okay, never tried that before. Well, there's a reason that I've never tried that before. Do you know that it's impossible to breathe through your mouth and eat at the same time? You can't do it. And so we're jogging. I'm trying to eat a drumstick and I'm, I'm really about to pass out. I ended up not eating all of it and I felt bad because I threw it away. But uh, we didn't know at the time anything about the organization that was sponsoring and the, the charity that was behind this event. Uh, but we started to learn more about Wheeler Mission. And a couple months ago, my son Camden and I went down uh, to volunteer there. And we got a tour uh, at uh, the mission by their program coordinator, a guy named Gary, a pretty awesome guy. And by the end of that tour and our time of, of serving lunch there, I was, I was a fan of Wheeler Mission because I was just really impressed, not only with what they actually do, all, all of the things that they do in the city, which th there's quite a bit more than what you see on the surface, but the heart behind it. And they just love people. They just care about people and, and all, all the way from the top to the bottom level. And they value people and they elevate people. And I, I just became a big fan of that organization because of the time I spent getting to know the people that run it. So what do you think uh, was happening in the early church that made people look at that organization and go, well, I don't, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but you can't argue with their character, their integrity, their way of life. That's, that's pretty special. They, they, were, they were gathering and caring in such a way that caused people to think well of them. What, what would the church look like today if we all lived and interacted with each other in such a way that outsiders looked at us and said, well, I don't know about all the Jesus stuff. I don't know about, you know, giving up my Sunday morning to go to a building and, and sing, you know, songs. I don't know about all that, but I can't argue with their way of life. I can't argue with how they treat people. I can't argue with how they give generously. I can't argue with their character. Would that, would that impact the life and vitality of the church in the United States, if that's how people saw Christians. Uh, let's look a little bit more at what they did. The third passage that uh, really is a good description of a summary of uh, the life of the early church is in Acts 4. So let's read some from Acts 4. You have a part here, you ready? Okay. All the believers were one in heart and mind. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus.
For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So what we see happening here is just the next level generosity, what we would call here uh, reckless generosity. People are just selling their stuff so that they can make sure everyone in the gathering has what they need. They're just selling land, they're selling houses, they're selling their boats and their jet skis, and and they're just bringing that money to the church so that the leaders can divide it up among the people who have needs. That's that's reckless generosity, that's just next level. Some Some of you financially smart people look at that and go, that's kind of foolish. I mean, if you sell your land, like back then, that was your retirement fund. That, your land was your retirement fund. Why would you, why would you, why would you get rid of that? I, I don't know, man. There was something happening in that community that made them believe that, hey, it's, it shouldn't be in the kingdom of God where everyone who's stamped with the image of God is treat, treated as an equal person. It should not be that some of us have more than we need while there are those who don't have enough. It shouldn't be. So they did what they had to do to make sure that wasn't the case. So um, I like this first verse there, uh, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. There was this unity of spirit, this unity of attitude that made all of this work. And it was that unity that I I think really uh, allowed this reckless generosity to kind of flourish and thrive. Uh, And it wasn't unity in the sense that they all thought the same or they all voted the same or they all had the same positions on political policies. It was a different kind of unity. It was a unity that said, we know what's most important. And when it comes to what's most important, we're all on the same page. We know what's most important in life. What's most important is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And, And we're on the same page about that. Anything else we disagree about, we can set that aside. We can have our opinions, we can have different positions, but we, that's not gonna come between us because we know what's most important and we're on the same page about that. That was the kind of unity that they had. Another thing that we need to uh, look at is that people came for healing. People came to the gathering. They saw the gathering of Christians as a place where broken people were made whole in miraculous ways. In fact, we get a line here from our, the first passage that we read from Acts 5 that kind of makes you scratch your head. It says that they would bring people out onto the street. Um, they were like tracking Peter. Peter was one of the leaders and they would track Peter's movements and they would be like, okay, Peter usually goes to the temple at six o'clock. So let's get out on Peter's route and let's, let's bring our sick friends just in case Peter's shadow falls on them and maybe they'll be healed. And we're kind of like, that sounds like superstition doesn't it? That sounds like people believing in magic or something, doesn't it? Is that what was going on? I mean, it kind of reminds you of the time when Jesus was walking on the road in a big crowd of people and a woman who had been sick for 12 years touches the hem of his robe and she's immediately healed. Well, was it magic? Was it Jesus's robe that healed her? I don't think we see any indication in scripture that Jesus did magic tricks or that he made his robe somehow magical so that if you touched it, you got healed. When, when scripture talks about healing, there's always two uh, elements involved. One is just the power of the Holy Spirit to heal, which is backed by God's vision of a kingdom where broken things are made whole, where old things are made new, where dead things are brought to life. The power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the faith of people, faith of people. Sometimes it's the faith of the sick person. Jesus looked at this woman who touched the hem of his robe and he said, your faith 
has made you well. Not, not my robe, but your faith. And sometimes it's the faith of people who are adjacent to the sick people. When uh, the friends lower their, their paralytic friend down through the roof, it was the faith of the friends that was at work in partnership with the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we see this about people wanting Peter's shadow to fall on people, this is not about superstition or magic. It's about people believing in the power of the Holy Spirit and having confidence that God is good, that he wants to bring healing and wholeness into the world. We believe those two forces are still at work today. So how did outsiders experience the church? How did they see Christians? Well, um, they experienced the early church as an environment of unity and power. Unity and power. So I would ask you this. Do outsiders today experience the church as an environment of unity and power? I'm gonna just let that one hang out there in the air for a little minute. And let's talk about what we can do to, to be those kind of people. What, what can we do? Now, this whole series, we've been talking about different things, different aspects of our lives that, that as we embrace the truth that we have been sent to people around us to love them in a way that shows them Jesus, the real Jesus, invites them to life with Jesus. We've talked about a lot of different things, but I wanna um, break it down into really five basic practices that I think if we build these into our lives, then as a church family and as individual Christians, we will be the kind of people that reflect unity and power. So uh, here are the five, and uh, conveniently, it's an acronym that spells the word BLESS, and so um, you can remember this hopefully a little easier. So we're going to go through these fairly quickly uh, because at lunch today, I'm going to explain this a little further and talk about the commitment that you're invited to make today. So uh, the first one, uh, the B, is for bless, and this is just about acts of kindness. And we've talked about this throughout the series, about meeting needs, being aware of the needs of the people around you. We talked last week about seeking a balance between giving and receiving, that if we're always the ones giving and never the ones receiving, then there's an imbalance there that can feel like a power imbalance to some people. And so we want to create balance between giving and receiving and we want to pray blessings over people. We want to be people, like Andy was talking about earlier, who intercede for our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones who don't know Christ. And we just want to pray blessings over them, that God would bring Jesus followers into their lives, that God would put the Holy Spirit in their path, and God would bring opportunities for them to enter into a relationship with Jesus. So the first one is bless. Second is L. And it stands for uh, two, two words, listen and learn, listen and learn. Um, if I had put two L's in there, then it just throws the acronym off. So sometimes you make sacrifices for the sake of a mnemonic device, okay? So uh, listen and learn. So we're talking about listening to people and learning about them. Um, we, we understand that, that the people who love us the deepest know us the best, Right? And so how do we get to know people? How do we get to know what really matters to them? If we love them, if we care about them, if we want what's best for them, how do we get to know people? And so sometimes I think we, we settle for a very superficial knowledge of the people around us. We settle for knowing maybe where they're from and what college they went to and what sports team they like and what they do for a living. And we're like, yeah, I know them. I, I can tell you what college they went to, where they work. But to know people really well, um, we need to know what really matters to them. So there's some questions. I, I'll throw some questions out at you. And again, I'm gonna go through these too fast for you to remember. Maybe you can write them down, but these will be available later. Um, but if you ask somebody, what was it like for you growing up? 
not just where did you grow up, but what was it like growing up in the home that you grew up in, in the town that you grew up in? Most of us like to answer those kind of questions. I mean, people like to talk about that kind of thing sometimes. Um, what, if you could change one thing about the way the world works, what would you change? Oh, that reveals people's values quickly, doesn't it? Think about that. If you could change one thing about how the world works, what would it be? That's going to tell us something about what matters. If you could give a million dollars to one charity, which one would you give it to? The answer is Cicero Christian Church. And uh, I'm just kidding. But that reveals the value of people. If you had a time machine, you could go back to one moment in your past. What moment would you go back to, to visit, to relive? If you, could, if you could skip to the future, what moment in your future would you like to see? This reveals what matters to people. And the, when we listen to their answers, we are learning who they are. Uh, beyond, beyond just putting a name to a face and knowing what they do, we're, we're learning what really matters to them. If we're gonna love people well, we need to know them well. Uh, for the last four years, I've had just this incredible opportunity to be a part of a mentoring program um, through our school system. Hamilton Heights uh, has this mentoring program called Teach One to Lead One. Uh, it's run by this incredible person who is spread, spreading it all over the state of Indiana named Sarah Coulter, um, who I live with. And uh, it's a great organization, uh, but what it does is it puts us into these classrooms in the school with uh, at-risk students where we just get to listen to them talk and learn about it. We ask them questions like this. We, we understand what matters to them and we, we hear their stories. And that's really about all we do. That's the big thing that we do is we listen and learn about them. And can you imagine what that's like for a 13-year-old kid who's, who's maybe having a rough time at home? Maybe they're having a rough time in school but there are these adults who come in and just sit and listen to them. And it just speaks so much value into their lives. It's so beautiful to watch them wake up in some ways. That's really cool. And I'm just grateful to be a part of that. But I think this is what the church should be doing. So that's listen and learn. The E is for eat. Um, this is obvious. Eating is good. Eating together is great. We do this as a culture all the time. I think we need to do it more intentionally. I think eating together breaks down barriers in, in a way that maybe, maybe is the easiest way to break down barriers with people. And I think we just need to be really intentional about eating together with all different kinds of people. A few years ago, Oxford University released one of those studies that cost you know, probably thousands of dollars and thousands of you know, hours of somebody's research to tell us something that we already knew, which is, uh, here's, here's one of their statements of results. Researchers found that people who eat socially are more likely to feel better about themselves and have a wider social network capable of providing social and emotional support. Like, well, we knew that, right? I mean, thanks for doing the research, Oxford, but we kind of, we, we, we just intuitively know that this is a good thing. And so I just think if we are intentional about eating together, and it's something that we saw in Acts chapter two, right? They met together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, right? That's a big part of what it means to, to live with unity and power. Okay, the first S is for spiritual conversation, spiritual conversation. And uh, what, this is one of the things that you're gonna learn about at our disciple training. Uh, the first one we're having is next Sunday night. Um, so I wanna invite you, if this is something that you've thought, I, I always wish I, I wish I was better at that. Come to disciple training next week. It's kind of a Jeopardy uh, themed, which is, which is, you know, like right, speaks to my heart language. I love Jeopardy. Um, but come and enjoy that and learn a little bit more about spiritual conversation. But I just wanna mention a couple things. Um, one is... Um, 
Spiritual conversation is often just about us telling stories. And the easiest story to tell is your own, right? The easiest story to tell is your own story. So we can be really intentional about telling our story in a way that points people to Jesus. When we tell our story, I think a couple of things we can focus on are rescue and transformation. To be able to tell the story of how God rescued me, what did God rescue me from? Man, that's a powerful story. We love those stories. When we see those stories in, in books or movies, we're drawn to stories of rescue. Another one is transformation. To be able to say, I used to be like this, and now I'm not anymore because Jesus. I mean, that's a transformation story. We love transformation stories, right? I mean, we, we, we watch those movies all day long. And that's your story. It's an easy story to tell because it's your story. So spiritual conversation can sometimes be as simple as telling your story of what God has done and is doing in your life. And the fifth S, the fifth letter, second S is sacrifice, sacrifice. And I just want to end uh, on this because I think um, it's important for us to acknowledge that if we're going to be intentional about inviting everyone to life with Jesus, about living in such a way with each other that it speaks of unity and power to outsiders, it's gonna cost us. It's gonna cost us. Anything, you guys know this, you've been around a while, you've been around the block, anything worthwhile that you've done in your life has been costly, hasn't it? It's cost you time, it's cost you money, it's cost you convenience and comfort. And so if this mission of loving people in a way that invites them to Jesus. If it's worthwhile, it's gonna be costly. You might have to set aside some of your political opinions for some time in order to build relationships with people. Are you willing to do that? You might have to sacrifice some of your leisure time, some time that you have kind of set aside as this is my time, I, I want my time. You might have to sacrifice some of your time you might have to sacrifice some money to be a part of a recklessly generous group of people. But here's what I know for absolute certain. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. When you get to see someone enter into the kingdom of God for the first time, there is no price tag you could put on that. There's nothing you could, you could say at that moment that says, well, I... I would, have, I would have only given this much to see that happen. Anything that we give up, it's worth it. But I think we need to know going in that it's gonna be costly. And we need to be prepared to recognize those moments of tension when we kind of go, oh, I'm uncomfortable with this or I don't know if I wanna do this and go, yeah, that's, that's me just being willing to make a sacrifice and it's time and I'm willing and it's worth it. So what we wanna invite you to do, if, if these practices are something that, that you wanna build into your life to help us become the kind of gathering that outsiders see as an environment of unity and power, we wanna invite you to make a commitment to that uh, today. And th this commitment can just be between you and God. And um, we kind of want to know about it just to celebrate that with you and encourage you. One way you can do that, if you've got a, a smartphone with you, you can scan that um, QR code and there's a commitment form on there. If you're not a smartphone person, we have some... Uh, Real, some papers that you can write on uh, that will be available at lunch. And so I invite you to come back for that. But you can do that today. And that's a way that you can make a commitment to these practices. And again, this is not something that, that you know, you're promising to be perfect at. We believe in direction, not perfection, 
right? We're moving in the direction of sent living. And um, you can do that today. Uh, But I just want you to be praying about this and have it on your mind. This is not the last time you'll have a chance to make that commitment. Uh, So if if you're not ready for that today, uh, maybe it's something that you pray about. Uh, Maybe it's something that you you talk to your family about and say, "Is is this kind of the things that we wanna commit to together? And here's what I'll promise you. If you do make the commitment, I will make sure that you have all the training and resources you need to do this well. I'll make sure that you've got support from us. That's, that's kind of why I'm here. It's my job <laughs> to make sure you have that stuff. So I'll just, I'll do my job and make sure you have what you need uh, to do this well. Here's, here's what I'm convinced of, that when non-believers see the church as a place of unity and power, Communities are transformed, absolutely transformed. That's what we see happen in Jerusalem with the early church and and in every place that Christianity went after that. And I love our community and I wanna see it transformed. And I believe it starts right here. So let's do this together. Would you stand? We're gonna close with a word of prayer. I just want to invite you to pray for unity and power among us. And, and unity is, is kind of your part, you know? Unity is, is up to you. Uh, if there's anything that is not something that we would call, okay, this is, this is in the category of what matters most. If there's anything like that that's kind of holding you back from engaging or participating, just ask for the grace of God to set that aside and to focus on what matters most so you can help build unity here. And then power is God's part. Let's ask God just to unleash the power of his Holy Spirit among us. Would you do that with me as we close? God, thanks so much for this incredible example of the early church and how they lived in such a way that that just showed everybody who you were. And God, I want that for my life, my family. I want that for our church family. And I pray that you would do that in us. God, would you give us a spirit of unity? Would you give us just the confidence in you that we'll set aside anything that would keep us apart, anything that would get between us, help us focus on what matters most, And then would you just unleash the power of your Holy Spirit among us to make this a place where broken people are made whole, where old things are made new, where dead things are brought to life. Would you do that in us and among us? And we give you glory in advance for every good thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Sister O'Fam, you are sent to be salt and light into a world that desperately needs Christ. God bless you. I'll see you back here for lunch in an hour and a half.